0: Welcome back to the Bulls, Beatles fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And we got a little bit until the next game. It'll be on Sunday. I'm recording Thursday morning after the overtime loss to the Phoenix Suns where we will take on the Pistons who beat us earlier. But, you know, the Pistons have been struggling, so that should be a game we could get, uh, followed by a Monday game against the Bucks in Milwaukee. I don't think we will get that one. And then we got an interesting stretch of two... Uh, games at home against Orlando followed by two at home against Miami, which seems like a new thing. And it's a smart thing that they're doing. They used to always have these home and homes where you would play the same team, but you would travel in between the game. And I always thought like, that's kind of weird, but now it looks like they're just going to be like, yeah, we're just going to play the same team back to back and no one has to travel. And that seems like a good way to, you know, maximize uh, player rest and health. And so, you know, nice idea. We'll see how that goes. But over that stretch, I think it's a pretty important stretch because I don't think that Miami is anything special this year and Orlando is you know, definitely not a particularly special team, though they're off to a solid start this year, but it feels like a beatable team. And so you know, when you look at those two teams, they're kind of like two teams that are in the middle and there's, those are games like we, we need to start winning some of those games. You can't count on just having the Utah Jazz around to right the ship all the time or playing the Pistons who actually beat us already or the Hornets or Wizards, you know, like you're going to have to get some of these games uh, against these, you know, average teams and you're going to need to get those in greater volume. So I think that's kind of an important stretch for Chicago right there. Hopefully they can beat the Pistons because kind of like I said against the Jazz, if they lose to the Pistons, it, it's really puts them in a tough spot like you. Pretty sure you're going to lose to Milwaukee on the road in a back to back. Like, unless something crazy happens, that's a game you don't really expect to win. And so, you know, if you lose both those games, you enter that critical stretch I just mentioned at three and eight. And uh, that's a lot worse than entering it at, you know, four and seven. So we'll see what happens. I I tend to not be too, uh, I guess, apocalyptic about what the Bulls will do this year. I don't think they've played very well at all this year. You know, to start the season off, but I, I don't think there's any reason they can't play a lot better this year and still potentially sneak into the playoffs. I think it's going to be close. You know, it's always tough when you lose some games early that you feel you should have won because now you've got to win some games that are going to be games like you maybe feel like you look at and be like, those are going to be tough wins. You're going to have to win some of those to make it up. But I'm, I'm not really that down on what the Bulls can do this season. I'm, I'm still very concerned about what they can do overall. So anyway, that's a little bit just what the schedule looks like, maybe the least interesting part of the show, I hope. So I'm going to uh, kick it off with this. In the postgame, they talked about this being a good loss to the Suns, you know, and like they hate to use the phrase good loss or blah, 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 but they played hard and they, whatever. This is not a good loss. Bradley Beal was in his first game back. Devin Booker was out. You know, so it was basically Durant, super rusty Beal, and a bunch of vet men guys. You know, and Durant didn't have like a killer game. It's like a game you feel like you should have been able to win. So it's not a good loss. And I don't, I don't like, you know, whatever. There's times where you feel like you're playing a really great team and, you know, you kept it close and some weird luck happened. This was not that. The Phoenix Suns have been struggling this year. They're out without Devin Booker, who is maybe their best player, if not their second best player you know Durant is obviously phenomenal but you know either way those guys are one and two you know Beal was 3 of 12 you know showed up just an absolute ton of rest in his first game back did not look good even remotely uh, so this is just a game you feel like you should be able to get and you didn't get it you know Alex Crusoe continues to play at this just insanely high level uh, it just, just incredible level i don't know what to, to make of that for the Bulls because they just can't seem to do anything with it. But Alex Caruso is the Bulls' best player. When we talk about the big three, we should probably talk about Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, and DeMar DeRozan. That's the Bulls' big three. It really is. I mean, like, the extent we have it. Anyway, um, I think the Bulls probably are going to have to consider selling Caruso at the deadline this year if they don't look like they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, we know if they look like they have a chance at the playoffs, there's no way this team's going to sell anyone. It just seems to be the path that they're on. But if things spiral for some reason, Alex Crusoe is going to get you a good chunk of value. And you might even just want to, like, think about whether you want to do that now, even if it hurts your team. I know we won't. Because Alex Crusoe is also a guy that tends to get hurt. And you need him to be healthy at the trade deadline if you want to try to get something. But I think there's a lot of teams looking at Alex Crusoe going, man, I could use some of that. So, so far the record in the season, we are three and six. We're two and three in close games, which is, you know, not great, but not bad. And we're one and three in blowouts, which is, you know, like pretty bad. We've not really played a tough schedule so far. You know, if you look at the teams the Bulls have played, like, you, I don't think you look at that and go like, wow, that was a, a murderer's row or anything. You know, we we played the Thunder, who you know I like it. I think they're going to be a good team, but they're not talked about as one of the elite teams. The Raptors, who are in the same boat as us, is like a play-in chaser. The Pistons, who look like one of the worst teams in the league, the Pacers, who are kind of average, but in the same boat as us. The Mavericks, who are kind of average, and in the same boat as us. The Brooklyn Nets, who are kind of average, a team you thought would be better than you know the Denver Nuggets. There's our one elite team we played, the Jazz, who are maybe the second worst team in the league behind the Pistons. And then the Suns, with extremely rusty Bradley Beale and Devin Booker sitting out, which you know, this version of the Suns team is not a good team. So I think maybe what's more concerning than the record is the quality of teams we've played. But like I said, I think this team is vastly underperformed, but it can. I had a post on Twitter the other day and it was talking about if these guys just shot the true shooting percentage they shot last year, you know, and, and I did it for just the big three, but if you add in Um, Patrick Williams and Kobe White, we'd average about 10 more points a game. So there's a lot of performance that's just like left on the table just due to shooting variance and like a really poor shooting start. And I don't think it's fair to think like, oh, wow, all these guys are just going to shoot dramatically worse than their three-year norms. Like that's probably not a likely outcome. So we should see some bounce back. We should see some better play from the Bulls. And they should be more watchable than they've been. And, you know, it's, it's not been it has been a frustrating start, I guess we can put it that way. But I think this team will be better than they have been to date. And I—I I think when we get towards, you know, the trade deadline, there's a pretty good chance we're going to be competing for the playoffs still. And you can argue whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I'm going to roll this into another thing I posted on Twitter. But Nate Duncan on Duncan Prime—it's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, had a, a show where they, you know, I forget, I think Nate was traveling and they didn't have, he didn't get to watch the game. So they just kind of picked up a, a side topic. And, and the topic was who will miss the most playoffs uh, from here on out? Or I guess who will have the longest stretch from here until they make the playoffs again? And so it doesn't count what you've missed in the past. So a team like, say, Detroit or Charlotte, who's not made it in a while, those seasons don't count. It's only from today until the next time you make it. And uh, Danny had the Bulls as his number two team behind the Pistons and Nate had the Bulls as number one and the discussion around the Bulls was basically they have a chance to make it this year but it doesn't look good at this point in the season based on how they played so far and if they don't make it this year their management has shown no willingness to accept reality that you know, they need to break up this team they've shown no willingness to admit any of their mistakes they don't have any meaningful talent uh, that's younger that could be like the next generation. So they still need to acquire all of it in the draft. They're still out one of their own draft picks uh, to, in, in terms of acquiring that talent. And they likely can't get a whole lot more for what is uh, on the roster now. Like you, you probably can't get a ton of uh, value back for what's on the roster now. Juicer Rebuild, if you go that way. And then, you know, overall management hasn't shown a great knack for making trades that increase the value of the team. Like, they've not just been knocking it out. And it was, it was hard to argue with that. So they described this as if you were betting on this, the Bulls would be the high upside pick. Like, if they there's a, there's a fair chance you lose right away because they make it this year. But if they don't make it this year, you're probably sitting pretty. And the, the comment they made is they could easily see the Bulls having the longest stretch by a huge amount like if they miss this year, like they're because of the combination of management's actions, the lack of talent, the lack of extra assets, the lack of what they could get back, they have the longest road by far. If they don't make it this year, uh, it, and, and Nate and Danny are really great lessons, national guys, but uh, and Nate, Nate's a former Chicago guy actually, um, very sobering if uh, if you don't think my views on the Bulls are uh, accurate, or you think I'm just kind of uh, maybe a little bit too negative towards them. You know, the the people who really follow the whole league are mostly also, you know, coming away thinking similar things to myself. So uh, one thing I wanted to discuss was Nikola Vucevic. I wanted to be, like, nicer on Vuce, but I just want to say this. His new contract, it already looks like an albatross. And so I think probably everyone agrees he's not good on defense. In fact, he's really, really bad on defense. You know, he just can't stay in front of anyone. He can't block shots. He can't defend a pick and roll. He can't switch. He can't be out on the perimeter. And so if he's not adding anything to you there, then defensively, just a huge hole. But people tend to think that Vuce is a good offensive player and that he can do a lot for us on offense. And there's really, like, very little evidence of that. He's not a shooter. Like, people say, like, oh, he can space the floor. He's had one good three-point shooting season in his career. One. Just one. That's it. One good three-point shooting season in his career. And that was now three years ago. So it's time to just call that an anomaly. Vuce is not a shooter, and we've seen him turning down shots. He's not going to be a shooter. He's like a 33% shooter. And when he was out there in that season, people weren't defending him out there. You know, while he's been with the Bulls, when he's out on the three-point line, no one goes to defend him. So he's not spacing the floor. And so it's fine if people don't go to defend you, but that means you now need to hit the shots. So you either space the floor, and that creates a lot of gravity and a lot of room, or you hit the shots, and that creates like a punishment for them not defending you. And he's not really capable of doing either. When he shoots a three, it generates a below-average, uh, you know, points for the team. You know, the true shooting percentage of the league, I want to say, is around 57%. Boots shooting a three is around a 49% true shooting percentage shot. So it's just not a good look. It's like a well-below-average look when Boots shoots a three. Now, it's fine if it's <clears throat> desperation shot or, you know, whatever. Something's going on. If it feels comfortable, whatever. But it's not a good shot. So then in the post... Vooch also generates below-average offense in the post. Like People are like, oh, Vooch in the post, Vooch in the post. Vooch in the post also gives you a below NBA league average shot. And so that's also not working for him. Plus, it uses up a ton of clock and time and effort trying to get the ball to him. Uh, As he's slowed down, you start also to generate more turnovers when he starts trying to post up as well. So this hasn't been a great look for him either. I think he's best in the pick-and-roll. I think he sets a good pick. He rolls to the basket well. He's got fair, fair amount of skill. When you know he gets a little bit of an advantage, and that pick and roll kind of gives it to him if the guard draws the double team. And and Kobe and Zach have been able to do that. So I like him most offensively in that spot um, because it also helps the other players. So I I like him most offensively, or most on offense in that spot. But he's just not a good offensive player. Like he isn't. Like he has a lot of skills. He's got a lot of abilities but he can't execute any of them at a level that's high enough uh, to to actually help the team. And so what is he left then? He's like, all right, above average passer for a center. Maybe I'll give you that. Like, I haven't seen Vooch just make incredible passes, but our team is not a high-passing team. I'm not going to blame him. So I'll give you he's probably an above-average passing for a center. Great rebounder, and this year he's been hitting the offensive glass, which I'm highly appreciative of, so good rebounder. That's great. But if you went around the league and said, do you want one of the worst defensive centers you can have, who's also a guy who demands a lot of shots and thinks he's a great scorer, but is actually a really poor scorer and hurts your team every time he shoots, Um, and he's also a really great rebounder and a a, a solid passer, like, how many teams want that, and where would that fit on your rotation? Eighth man? Like, there's a role for a guy like Vooch for sure. Like, he's not, like, out of the league bad. He's not maybe vet minimum bad, but he sure, sure as heck is not $20 million a year good. And we just signed him to that this summer, bidding against no one. And you can already see how bad that's going to age. Uh, if we could move Vooch even just to get out of the contract, we should do it. We should just do it. And speaking of Vooch, I'm also you know, kind of getting close to being done with Zach Levine in any type of important moment. Like, Zach actually seems like he fills up the box score pretty great in quarters one through three or, like, whenever things are not so crunch time. But as soon as he just gets into this mode where he wants to get a shot off and he's going to dribble around a lot, man, is it frustrating to watch. I would love to see Zach Levine on a team where someone could convince him, you have to play like classic Clay Thompson, which is not what Clay Thompson's doing now, actually. you got to play like classic Clay Thompson. We want you to put up shots without dribbling, you want to get the ball, and you're either going to go right away, you're going to cut right away, you're going to shoot right away, or you're just going to move the ball. Like, that's, that should be Zach Levine's game. And, you know, he's convinced that he's just going to be the superstar player that dribble penetration, I'm going to take guys off the dribble. And so it's fine if he wants to take guys off the dribble, but just when you get the ball, go immediately. Once he starts dancing around, the odds of, like, a good shot strike me is, like, really low, and it uses a lot of clock time. And part of that is maybe just the construction of the roster. You know, it's tough because, like, Zach, Vooch, and Demar are just a tragic fit together. You know, Vooch can't space the floor, as I discussed earlier. Like, people think he can, but he can't, and he doesn't, and no one goes out to guard him. Demar can't space the floor. Neither of them can punish you. And so, like, teams don't really have to guard a whole lot to do that. Now, we just moved uh, Torrey Craig into the starting lineup over Patrick Williams. Torrey Craig's not a great floor spacer. He's a solid open shooter, kind of maybe similar to, to Williams. Like, neither of those guys are going to hit a lot of threes in volume, but they could both shoot an okay percentage. Craig's looked a lot worse as soon as he moved to the starters. And Pats look marginally better off the bench. I don't think a whole lot better, but marginally better off the bench. So, I don't know. It's like, it's just, it's just a poor fit, you know. And then Kobe could theoretically space the floor, but Kobe's the point guard, and usually has the ball in his hands, So it's kind of just a, it's just a really nasty-fitting lineup. And I, I think probably what the team needs to do, but they won't do, is they need to start actually maybe playing DeMar DeRozan in a Manu Ginobili off-the-bench role. And I just don't think his ego will accept it. Maybe you could do the same with Zach Levine, but I think it would be tough uh, to, to do that and have less shooting in the starting lineup. Plus, I think Zach plays better with Vooch than, than DeMar does. But I think that's just like the tough thing here. It's like you also have all these egos, and what's best for the team? Look, it's obvious you got to split these three guys up. I mean, if you could just trade one of them, that's probably the thing to do. If you could just trade one and get role players back, especially, I mean, if you could move DeMar or Vooch and get role players back, that might actually be a thing to do. You know, the problem with Vooch, though, of course, is the only other center on the roster is Andre Drummond because we refuse to build any type of balanced roster. And so there's not a lot of, not a lot of uh, backup there. So it's just an overall like poor fitting team. We probably overestimate the talent because of the legacy points per game. Some of these guys scored and it's just going to be rough to figure out what to do. I think they got enough in them. If they can just start playing a little better to get back up to like the 40 ish win total and then, Maybe you see what happens in the play-in. But it's just going to get worse next year. It's going to be more dismal next year. So, you know, this team has got a lot of, a lot of like, decision-making to make you know, about what they're going to do in the future with this group. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. I will talk to you guys sometime soon.